0: Didn't have the opportunity to preach when I was in Ecuador. Glenn did all that, and I was was happy to let him. Preached eight times in in, uh, nine days, most of that in six days. Uh, And uh, just, I know we had very, very capable uh, speakers to fill in the pulpit here, and I know that God used them. Uh, But I'm glad to be back. Glad to be uh, here uh, to share what God's laid on my heart. I'm going to begin a, a new series called Jail and Joy. Normally, only don't think those two go together, do we? How in the world can you have joy in jail? But if you read the book of Philippians, which we'll be going through the next five weeks, you'll understand exactly why that's the case. Uh, behind me, you'll see a picture of a bus. It's a double-decker bus. It's not in London. It's actually in Quito, Ecuador at the... At the north end of El Parque de Carolina, uh, the big city park in town, and that is the Quito City Tour Bus. And for $12, you can catch a ride on that bus. They give you a bottle of water, and you can sit on the top, and it's convertible. I wouldn't suggest you do that without sunblock if you're a gringo. I know from experience what happens if you do that, if you sit on the bus for six hours with no top and a beautiful Quito day. You get cooked, so I did, but I enjoyed it anyway. We piled the family up there the kids absolutely enjoyed it and there were 12 stops we were going to make 12 of them Uh, most of them I'd been to before but there were some things that I hadn't done and plus we were going to get narration there was going to be a Spanish uh, narration then an English narration and I was I'm always looking to learn new stuff I'm a a nerd that way Uh, I love history I love culture and so I was really looking forward to it and um, the first stop we made was guess where at the park The park is about 10 blocks long and about halfway through there's a botanical garden and uh, there's some other things and uh, we didn't get off at the botanical garden, didn't interest us. Actually, later on, Gabby and the kids took me in there, it's gorgeous, more orchids than I've ever seen in one place in my life, just gorgeous orchids there and and roses that are literally this big, Uh, it's just absolutely beautiful. Uh, And then they took us around the corner uh, up the República, and down. took a left on Amazonas and took us to a shopping district that I've been to before, no big deal. Uh, Took us to the Park and we didn't get off there because Gabby says it's dangerous to get off there. So we didn't get off there. Uh, And then we took a left toward El Centro. El Centro is the, the old part of town. Part of that was begun in the 1500s you can believe that. Uh, they have history that dates back with the Spanish settled, uh, settled there back in the 1500s. And uh, so we're on this bus. I'm learning new things, and they bring us to the basilica. Basilica was begun in the late 1800s. It's not the cathedral. The cathedral's in the, the, the Independence Park. This is the basilica, and uh, it, they're still building it, for 120 years, they've been building this, and they're, they're afraid that if they ever stop building it, that a huge major earthquake or volcano eruption will take place and destroy everything. So they keep building. Uh, they just continue to build build, and build. And uh, we got there. We paid our $2 to go inside. Um, I thought about doing that here, but I didn't think we'd get too many people just to pay $2 just to come and see our church. It's not quite the same thing. Because you'll see those two towers up front, um, we climbed those. Uh, we took an elevator to the third floor because we had my in laws with us and they qualified as old. So uh, we didn't get to, we got to ride the elevator to the third floor. And then from the third floor, you'll notice that there's a little tower in the back. Can you see that one right there? That tower is just as tall as those towers, but there's a platform there with steps there. So we climbed up the front part of, the, of it and were, was able to look south toward El Panecillo. El Panecillo is this hill right here. It's a gorgeous view to the south of the city, and right there, there's a statue, about a 150, 200-foot statue, of a virgin that overlooks the city and kind of takes care of the city. And that was an amazing view. I'd never seen that view before. I was so glad that we stopped at that point. And I could have stayed there and said, I've seen Quito, because that is a gorgeous view. You're looking to the old colonial part of Quito there, uh, buildings that are old, you know, Simone Boulevard. Uh, hung out there, you know, It's just everything happened right there in that corridor, and I could have just stayed there. Uh, But they said, well, there's more to see. So we climbed up some more steps, and then they took us to this bridge. Now, can you really see that? That's a bridge that's on the roof of the building. There's two roofs. There's the roof of the actual church like this, and then there's a false roof on top of that. We were between the two. And just to let you know what that bridge was on top of, it was that. I didn't know that till I got down, that that's how high I was. Uh, that's at least 100 feet up, uh, and uh, we were walking on top of those buttress thingies, what are the arches, I, I'm not an architectural engineer, I don't know what to call them, those things there, those trusses. And we all walked across this, my in-laws, Gabby, myself, and the kids. After we climbed steps and stairs and ladders, we climbed across there, and at the end of there is a a ladder that has about 15 steps on it that's the ladders like that and all of us got on that and then we climbed another couple of sets of stairs that's gabby climbing the next set of ladders did you guys do this did you climb it all along? you climbed it all? You, yeah you didn't yes uh, about this point my knees were getting weak uh, very very weak but we did it anyway and the view was spectacular you could see the entire city from there and I was so glad we didn't stop at the front of the building. We were able to go to the back of the building because the view was so much better. To the left, you can't see it to the pillar there, is Cotopaxi. One of the, it's, a, it's a volcano that's 30 miles away, but you could see it's the snow-capped peak of it uh, from there. Up north, you could see Kayambe, which is the, the snow-capped volcano to the north. Uh, it was just an absolutely amazing view of the city. And I was so glad we got off there, but then... The bus came around again, so we decided to get on. We're not going to finish this tour yet. We, we rode down the bus, and I don't know if you can tell. That's, those are the seats of the bus, and it's like a roller coaster ride because Quito is very hilly. And at one point, uh, it was a grade like this, and there's this bus, and I'm praying that it has good brakes as we go down this hill. And you could see in the distance El Panecillo. You could see it, and we're like, we're going that direction. We're going to be able to see it. We're going to climb that hill with the bus and be able to see it, and I couldn't wait to get to that view. In the meantime, we passed by the presidential palace, the White House, and you can actually ride right in front of the White House and see the shops that are under the front porch of the Ecuadorian White House, uh, the commerce that takes place right in front of his house. Uh, It's not like three miles separating you like it does in the, the U.S. here. It's right there, right in that colonial square where everybody was, and we kept on going, and then we got right up to it, and it was gorgeous. Uh, Another 100-year-old piece of artwork that they've restored, and you can climb up to the top, and not to the very top of the head, but the top of the the feet there, and you can actually look out and see the city, and the view from there is even more amazing because right there is the basilica, tiny, 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 where I stood and saw this statue, And I loved that view. I could have just sat there and stared at that view forever and watched the people and tried to get a grasp of the history that took place in that corridor. Uh, You know, 500 plus years of history right there. And I was amazed at the view. Amazed uh, at what I was able to see. And that's not even the south side view. You could see miles and miles and miles on the south side. But then we got on the bus again and the last stop was El Teriférico. Uh, I would call it Terrier Ferico because it's scary. It is scary. Uh, that is a cable car that holds six people. And when they say six people, they mean six Ecuadorians. And for those of you who went, you know Ecuadorians aren't very big. My wife is, a tall, is tall for an Ecuadorian. And so uh, we decided to go. Actually, my... Daughter decided she was going to go because last time she went, she was scared to death of it, and she decided she was going to conquer her fear. She did it all by herself, and Dad had made up his mind; he was not going until Daddy said. Isabel said, "Daddy, we're going to go on the teleferico, right?" And I said, "Gabby, we're going on the teleferico, right?" And she said, "Last time we went, it stopped about halfway, and we stood swinging in the wind about 300 feet off the ground uh, for what seemed about." 52 minutes, but I think it was actually four. Um, As I began to say, now how in the world, there is no way we can get out of this. There's absolutely no way. There was a window this big that you could slide open a little bit. But what this does is it takes you to the the top of the Pachincha. The Pachincha is the main volcano around which the city is built. It's 14,000 feet in elevation. The the city is is at a base of 9,000 feet, so you take this about 4,000 feet up to the top of the mountain. And it's a seven to ten minute ride. I don't know why they said seven to ten minutes. I guess it decides if it's going to stop for three minutes, it'll be ten. Uh, well, I'm praying the whole time. Isabel's loving it. She's wanting to take pictures of my camera, and I think she actually took this one uh, of, of the car ahead of us as we're going up the mountain. It takes us seven minutes, and we get up, and I wasn't prepared for the top of the mountain. It was already a high of about 68, 67 that day, The sun, the clouds had come over, and it was chilly at the base. But there was about a 25-degree difference at the top of the mountain, and I didn't bring a jacket, and so my dad-in-law let me have his his windbreaker, and there was about a 40-mile-an-hour wind, and my ears were freezing, but I hiked about three-quarters of a mile hike to the very crest of the mountain that overlooked the city, and I'm so glad I did because that's me with the city in the background. I thought the Basilica view was amazing. It was. It was awesome. Then I thought the view from El Panecillo was amazing. It was spectacular. But nothing compared to the view from on top of Pachincha. You could see the entire city of Quito, the two and a half million people that live in Quito were right there in front of you. As far as you could see to the north, as far as you could see to the south, as far as you could see to the west, there were... Houses, buildings, businesses, people everywhere—you could see the the majesty of God's creation as you saw three major, huge volcanoes in front of us: one to the north, one to the east, and one to the south. And you realize you're at you're standing on one as well, and you're just overwhelmed by what you saw. And I just had to I just had to have a little worship service there for a little bit. Uh, I think Gabby got a little worried that something happened to the kids because we didn't come down for about 45 minutes because that was me just taking it in. Because where, how often do we get that kind of view? How often do we get it? I'm so glad that we got off. I'm so glad we didn't just stay at the botanical garden and say, okay, we took the bus trip, we've ridden eight blocks, we can get off and we can stay at the botanical garden, it's beautiful. I could have looked at the orchids all day but I'm glad we didn't stay there. I'm glad we continued on the bus ride that took us to the Basilica, and that took us to the El Panicio, and then it eventually took us to the Pachincha. I'm so glad I stayed on the ride, because it was worth it. Paul was in prison. It was near the end of his life, the end of his ministry, the end of everything for him, all here on earth. And he was thinking about some of his dear friends in philippi it was one of his early churches that he'd started and it was one where it just solidified his gentile mission because there weren't very many jews there anyway and uh, so it, the church that started there was well, it was brand new in every way there was none of the jewish tradition that was coming in that had come in it was straight people who had never believed in god who came to believe in god or people who had heard about god but didn't weren't jews and they accepted Christ, and he was so excited about him, spent some time there nurtured them. And you can tell by the nature of the conversation that Philippi, the people there, were some of his favorite people in the world. Some of his other letters, you realize that they weren't his favorite people in the world. <laughs> At least they were getting on his nerves a little bit because he chastises them a, a great deal because they're, they're completely missing it. But the people in Philippi seemed to be getting it. And he's writing to people from prison, from a Roman jail. He's in jail because he's preaching the gospel. He's probably in jail for a capital offense, which means that he's, well, tradition says that he dies soon after writing this, is executed for his faith. And he's writing to people in the midst of the same type of persecution, people who are struggling because the culture around them does not understand who they are in Christ. The culture around them does not understand their values. The culture around them doesn't understand why they do what they do. And the more I read Philippians, the more I realize that we are more like them than we realize. We are living in a country which is becoming more and more like that, more and more secular, more and more to the point that nobody understands who we are and what we do. We live in a culture that tries to say, why in the world would you do that? Why do you think that way? Why do you act that way? And we say because we believe in a gospel that's changed our lives. That's why. So Paul writes writes this letter to encourage these Philippians. It's really an easy read. It's four chapters. You can read it this afternoon in about 20 minutes. Um, But I'm telling you, it's it's one of the most rich four chapters in all of Scripture. It's absolutely my favorite book in Scripture, the book of Philippians. And he begins it by just saying uh, who he is, I'm Paul and I'm here with Timothy and we're, we're servants, slaves of, of Jesus Christ. And then he begins the letter. Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, that's going to be our text today. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to find that. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation uh, and it's not going to be on the screen yet. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to, to find that. Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. This is God's word for us today. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make requests for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I'm certain that God... Who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when, Jesus, when Christ Jesus returns. Verse 6 again. I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Lord, may in the next few moments you open up your word to us in a new and amazing way. And may you continue the work in each one of us until you bring it to completion on the day where we see Jesus face to face. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. He begins by saying, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. I have two questions for you. Number one, who do you give thanks for in your life? Every time you remember them in prayer, you're just thankful that they're in your life. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your, fa- your parents. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's a, a dear friend. Maybe it's the people in this church. But people who you wouldn't be able to make it without. And every time you pray for them, you are reminded of what a blessing they are. And then the second question is this. Who prays this about you? In whom have you invested to such a degree that every time they pray, they are thankful that you're in their life? You've made such a difference, impact in their life that they are so thankful for you. Paul is thankful for the Philippians. Every time he prays for them, every time he thinks thinks of them, every time he remembers those early days in Philippi, every time one of the names comes to his mind, he just breaks down and thanks for God. Thanks to God for for their life. Or thank you for this person. (laughs) Thank you for for what you did in their life, and thank you for the way they've impacted my life. My prayer is that there's at least one other person for whom that's true for you, that you've impacted their life in such a way, and if you haven't yet, God has a plan for you. God has something in store for you, and he has a plan for you to impact somebody's life in that way. But he doesn't end there. He begins then in verse 4. He says, whenever I pray, I not only thank God for you, but I, I remember your requests and I do that joyfully. It makes me happy to, to remember you. Remember, where is Paul writing from? Jail. And many scholars believe that this jail was in a, uh, basically a, there are some who think they've actually found the jail. They're the, they know where the jails were at that time in Rome. And they've kind of narrowed it down to, to one specific and It's this first story room. It's multiple stories. You go into the first story room, and there's this bare floor, and in this bare floor, there's a hole, and in that hole, the prisoners were let down, and into it, there was no light. There was a a curved, uh, kind of cave-like ceiling, and there's a little trench for latrine that's running through it, and uh, it's damp, it's wet, it's smelly. And this is where Paul is writing from. And he says, every time I pray for you, I pray for you joyfully. It tells us that joy isn't based on circumstances, it? The joy of the Lord, as Pastor Glenn said, is our strength. And that comes not, not by what is going on around us, but by what's happening inside of our hearts through what Jesus is doing in our lives. And it's based on, for Paul what other people were doing it made him happy to see how the gospel was spreading their lives and how it made a difference in them so he prayed for them with joy and then he remembered this he says for you you've been my partners in spreading the gospel from The good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now, you have partnered with me, you have shared with me, we've been on this journey together and you've been just as effective as I have in spreading the gospel. You've made an eternal difference right there and that makes me so happy that no matter what your circumstances, you still see a partnership in sharing the gospel with those around you as important and he's thankful for that. And then he comes to this point, and most of us know this, it's actually back on the wall there, it was one of the uh, P-T-T-V, piecing together the vision uh, themes uh, probably about 12 years ago. It's, Paul is certain of a fact, absolutely certain that God, who began the good work in you, when he says that, it's not just you singular, it's, 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 he's meaning all you Philippians, the one who began the good work will continue that work until it's finally finished. And when is that time going to be finished when Jesus Christ returns? So, you've got to understand that the work that God does in our hearts and our lives, it begins and it ends with God. We don't initiate it and we're not going to end it, are we? Even before we came to know Christ, God, through his Holy Spirit, through the, his provenient grace, was, was drawing us to himself. He's always bringing sinners to himself. And so his work that he began in you began before you even knew who he was. And many of you can look back in your past and you can see God's grace in your life before you ever knew it was God's grace. And you can map it out and see, wow, God was living me there and God was leading me there and God was leading me there. To the point where I came to accept him as Savior and he changed my life. And there's going to be a day, like we sang about, a glorious day when we see Jesus face-to-face, and there'll be no more sickness, no more pain, no more tears. It'll all be gone, and it'll be just us and God. And that's, that's the day when it's going to all end for us. And in reality, that's just the beginning, isn't it? beginning of, of eternity with, with Him. But there's that beginning, that moment where we accept Him, and that ending or we see him face to face, it's the, the work that began and the work that's going to be finished when Jesus returns. So what about the middle? What do we do with the dash, so to speak? There was the moment where we accepted Christ, and if I ask you today, many of you can name the date and the time. Others of you, it was just kind like, of like a process where you were, were led, and then you said, well, when I was 10 or 12 or 16. You know that time when when Jesus came into your hearts and changed your lives. If you don't know that time, if you've never experienced that, my prayer is that you would. That you would allow God to begin that good work in your life. But for those of us who have, we realize that we will never be the same because of that moment. And we look forward to the time where, you know, we'll see Him face to face. But in the meantime, for most of us, we got plenty of years between that. So what do we do with that? What do we do with it? Well, it it really hinges on what he's actually doing in our hearts. And I'm certain that God who began the good work within you, what is that good work specifically? What is it? Is it just fire insurance that we got? You know, I got saved, I got baptized, and I'm in. I'm good. That's all I ever have. To, that's all you have to have to do for me, God. That's all. I, that's all. I, that's all I need is just to make sure that I get into heaven one day. Well, that's just the tip of the iceberg. That's just the beginning of the journey. It's like for me buying the ticket to get on the bus. The journey is what it's all about, and it's a journey specifically of love. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 9, if you go a little bit further there, you realize that he says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. His prayer is that they will be so full of love that it just overflows. John Wesley described our hearts like, like a pitcher, a pitcher that's empty. Actually, it's just full of air. And if it's empty, it's, it's still full, Right? And what God wants to do is to pour his love inside of us so it displaces that air of selfishness, that air of greed, that air of sin until we're so full of love for God and love for others that it just overflows into the lives of others. And Paul's prayer is that you would, that, that the Philippians would just be so full of that love that it would just would overflow, that God would continually pour his love into their lives and they would be this open vessel to receive God's love. And then that love would just be passed on to others, and that they would begin to understand and, and to know God deeper and deeper. That knowledge is an intimate, an intimate description of the relationship between the people and God. To have knowledge of someone is the same uh, euphemism in Scripture used to, to sleep with someone. Uh, you know them intimately, so to have knowledge of someone is to be emotionally connected, physically connected, to know them because of the love that they've poured in your life. And he says, because of that love, I want you to understand what really matters. I want you to understand what really matters so that you can live the life that God's called you to be. Live pure and blameless lives until he comes. So right there, Paul's giving us the middle. The middle. He's called us to begin the journey that God, through accepting Christ and letting God do something, and then there's an end of it when we're seeing face to face, but then there's this middle that is characterized by pure and blameless lives. And how does that happen? It comes from the fruit of your salvation. We talked uh, several weeks ago for a great length of the fruit of the Spirit, what our lives should look like because of the Spirit in our lives, and that's exactly what Paul's saying here. Your life should bear fruit, and that fruit is a righteous character which is produced by Christ. That, that word righteousness is scary, isn't it? We hear the term self-righteous, which means that you think you're higher than, uh, better than that and higher than all of us, and uh, we don't like it that way, and uh, we, we kind of put it with holier than thou Uh, but righteous really means having right relationships and the love that he produces in us is meant to help us to have a right, right relationship with him nothing in between us and him and then nothing between us and others righteousness The love that's supposed to characterize our in-between time, the good work that God's doing in our hearts that's characterized by love, is supposed supposed to produce righteousness, right relationships. So what's that really mean? Well, Well, it starts with this one word obedience. How many of you really like that word? Come on, anybody? George, George likes it. He's it. <laughs> obedience. Why don't we like that word? Because we think of when we were eight again, and our mom told us to clean our rooms, or we couldn't go out and play, and she really meant it. And we didn't get to go out and play because we were disobedient, Right? We think of obedience meaning something that we don't want to do, but we have to do because somebody with more power than us is making us do it, right? Obedience. It's a forced thing. It's a thing that we, we are so far removed from wanting to do it, but we got to do it because, that's, because I don't have a choice in the matter. Obedience. Sometimes I think that's the way our kids think about it, and maybe that's our fault. But what is Obedience. Well, Jesus described it this way. He says in John chapter 14, verse 15, if you love me, then you'll obey my commandments. If you love someone, then you want to please them, don't you? If you really love someone, then you want to do everything possible for them that you can. Now, I know some of you have different love languages, and you express that in different ways. For some of you, you, you shower the ones you love with gifts, don't you? You're, you're a gift giver, and you do it, and you do it. You, you spend hours picking out that very gift, and you can imagine what they're going to look like when they open their that gift, and that makes you happy, and you hope, you make, and you hope it makes them happy. For others of you, you just, you just love being in contact with someone, and you know that that makes them happy, and you can just hold hands with with your spouse and or or put your arm around them and you know that's going to make them happy for those of you you know you know that's going to make somebody happy if show you that you really love them if they if they hear how much you love them saying you're just a i love the way you the person that you are i love what you do for me and you just affirm them all the time and for others of you it's doing things for people Uh, one of my love languages is active service, and so uh, I would go to Gabby's school during the middle of the school day, and I would get her car and fill it full of gas and would wash it and would take it back to the there, and I would sometimes put a flower on the dash and, so that she would realize that I washed it for her uh, and filled up the tank. Um, and she would just say, oh, thanks. Thanks. And I'm like, I spent 45 minutes of my day doing this, and I get as a, oh, thanks. And what I began to realize was my love language is service, and I was doing this to, to, to fill her love tank, but her love tank is filled with quality time. I would a heap rather uh, wreck your yard than spend four hours on a couch with you just talking. You know, let me wreck your yard. Let me wash your car. But for her, her love language being quality time meant that I had to learn that if I really wanted to show her love, that I needed to turn the TV off and just listen and ask a question or two. Which is really hard for me to do, and I'm still trying to learn to love to, to speak that language, but I'm, hopefully I'm doing better than I did 10 years ago. Uh, if we want to speak the love language of God, it begins with obedience. Doing what he asks us to do, not out of obligation, not out of duty, but out of love. Because we know how much they've done, he's done for us. Love. Obedience. Obedience. What's your obedience hang up with God right now? What's God calling you to do that you're not so sure you want to do or can do? At what point of the journey have you gotten off the bus and say, "You know, I know that there's probably good stuff ahead of me, but I'm good right here. And I'm going to take in the Basilica view for the rest of my life. I know there's a big tall mountain there and that you can get there eventually. But you know, there's, there's, there's things that I'm not so sure about between here and there, and I'm happy right where I am. What's your obedience roadblock? For some of you, it's, uh, it could be the way you talk. Well, this is the way I talk because this is the way I grew up, and God's saying, well, you don't have to talk that way. Let's do something about it. For some of you, it's a habit. A habit that you've had for a long time, a habit that has control of you more than God does. And God says, there's more for you. And you say, you know, but if I go any further, I'm really going to have to address this habit, and I'm not so sure I want to do that. I'm just going to stay at the, at the botanical garden, if that's okay. I know there's a whole lot more in store for me, but I'm not ready to address this right now. For others of you, it's just the way you treat your family, the way you treat your spouse. Others it may be the way you spend your money, the way you see your finances. For others of you, it just may be, I don't want to go deeper with God because I'm scared of what He's going to call me to do. told you the story last week of John and Shirley Fisher who were uh, accountants. He was an accountant. She was a school teacher. He went, he went on a work and witness trip, and God called him. So he dragged her and their one-year-old and their three-year-old to Venezuela to volunteer with no pay for eight years to work as work and witness coordinators. And now for the past 20, they've been doing that. And he told us in so many words that the view was so much better from here than it would have been at from an accountant's desk. At what point have you gotten off the bus and you've settled for that level of spiritual life with God? Maybe it's just the fact that you don't want to spend that much time with God. I don't know what your point is, but I want you to know that there's more in store. God has a great journey in store for you that just didn't end the moment you accepted him. That's just the beginning. He wants to continue that work, to take you to newer and different places, places with better views, places where you can see what he's doing, where you can be used by him in amazing ways, places where you can experience all he has in store for you. But in order to do that, you've got to get back on the bus. And you've got to say, I'm willing to be to go. I'm willing. God, fill me with that kind of love. Fill me. I'm certain that God who began the good work within you, I'm positive that God who began the good work in all of you will continue his work until it's finally finished when Jesus Christ returns. That's his plan. How willing are you to cooperate with that? not going to force his plan on you he just says here's the bus get on let me take you somewhere are you willing this morning are you willing ask you just to close your eyes and bow your heads right where you are are you willing this morning to give up your roadblock Say, Lord, I know I'm scared about this, or Lord, this has been my issue, but I'm ready for you to deal with it so I can go to the next step. These are the things I've said no to, but now I'm saying yes, if that's your will. What are those for you? What's your roadblock? As I pray for you right now, I'm going to ask that you pray yourself. Don't let me pray your prayer for you. Make this your prayer. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for this journey. This amazing journey that you've led us on called faith and salvation. Lord, I pray that uh, for each one of us that we would be willing to get back on the bus today and allow you to continue that work that you've done in us. That we would allow you to heal us, to bring victory over what's been bringing us down, to, to purify our lives. That we'd allow you to call us into maybe sometimes new and scary things and situations. But Lord, I am encouraged by those, those many who have who at the end of their lives, who have been obedient, who have done amazing things for you, who have said, I don't regret one moment of it. I'm so glad that I said yes, and that I allow God to take me where he took me. Lord, help us not to settle for a view of just the botanical garden when you have planned to take us on top of the mountain. pray that your Holy Spirit right now would be poured out on each one of us that are here, that our hearts would be so full and overflowing with love for you, that our obedience to you would just be second nature. When you call, we go. Make that so in each one of our lives. As we go from here, as we go into our grow groups, Lord, continue to solidify the relationships that we have with each other. Make the fellowship sweet. And Lord, made through this week, as we hear your nudges and feel that pressing from your spirit to obedience, help us to say yes. This may be the first yes we've said in a long time but we know that yes is going to lead to so much, so much greater things than we could ever imagine. Or thank you for your time with us. Thank you for this family. And may we be different because of our time together today. We pray this in the name of Jesus, the one who's made all this possible, who is obedient to the cross. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.